So, hello. Uh, welcome to the uh, Hernia U post, uh, postcard series. It's a pleasure to be with our friend uh, Amir Sol. Hi. Uh, he's a, I, I will define him like a, first as a good friend, very good friend. And, and second, as an innovative surgeon uh, that has always been, uh, you know, at the edge, looking for something uh, better and something new to improve surgery. We are together with Flavio Malcher. Hello there. Uh, and so we are going to have this chat with uh, with Amir because I, I think it's going to be very, very, very interesting. So, Amir, let, let's start from the beginning. I'd I, I like to have you a definition. You know, people talking about innovation all the time, but what will be the, the definition of innovative surgeon? What is your vision on that? I think that innovative surgeons is a, is a problematic term because I think most people who innovate a lot compulsively are people who are always unhappy with, with what they see around them. They're usually not happy people. <laughs> it's people who are frustrated and uh, angry and uh, unhappy with everything that happens around them because they know that there is a better way to do things and it's not done. And uh, if you concentrate about everything that you do, you see that a lot of it comes from you know tradition or completely irrational thinking. And then many things could be improved just by changing very little. And people who are compulsive innovator, innovators, usually people who are always unhappy, somewhat unhappy with what they see around them. And it could be anything. It could be injustice. It could be, you know, that the picture is hanging a little skewed. Stuff like that that you that annoys you. And when you, as a surgeon, you look around you when you are in the operating room. There are many things that are they don't work well and that are uncomfortable and are inefficient. And if you try to change them, you can be just angry, but you can also try to change them. And to try to change them, you, try, you have to, to innovate. You have to start doing things differently. I, I, if I may say so, I think it's in our human core. I think what differentiates us as a species, an animal species, is we are always looking for something different. I mean, other animals that are used to their life and just repeat their daily activities us at our upper or higher intelligence, we kind of challenge this all the time in our day by day, as you are exactly right. So we are here sitting at sieges, EHS, we see the pool, and maybe the pool is cool. And why is not warm? And how can we make it warm without spending energy? So we are always thinking uh, how to change the way we do our daily life. So that's absolutely right. Well, it's true, but but on the other hand, surgery is very, very hierarchical, very, very rigid, and very, very conservative. So there's always a clash between these two cultures, between these two trends of thought, because, because to innovate, you need some degree of chaos, and you need a very big degree of not respecting your elders and not respecting how things are done. And this is actually why there is a lot of innovation happening in traditions, in cultures that are less less uh, rigid, less uh, less uh, conservative when you, when some chaos is there and, and you can take advantage of this chaos and create new things. Yeah, and it's interesting you touch this point because something I will ask you is what is different about Israel? Because we see so many innovator, innovation come from small or smaller companies from Israel and it amazes me because if you, I'll give an example that's nothing to do with us, but um, advanced bipolar energy. It was an Israeli company that invented decades ago and it was acquired by a big American company. But 
Um, and that repeats itself so many different times. Oh, there are many things that you don't even think of, like this the SIM card was invented in Israel. You see? Really? USB was a stick was invented. The you flat see? memory was invented in Israel. No, but, but that doesn't the culture... first Intel processor was invented in really? Israel. But but that, that that's a cultural thing that the people who in Israel have in blood, you learn that in the school. I in... think it's in the combination of several things. First of all, there's a lot of culture or culture around uh, questioning authority and uh, uh, like flat decision making, which is very, very strongly embedded in our culture because uh, the Israeli army, which was always small uh, compared to other armies, needed always to accept scrutiny and to and there, you know, you can as a as a very young soldier say something to your superior and say, I think you're wrong, and that's okay. That's okay. That doesn't and, happen often. And that's, that's right. okay. And when they when you do debriefing of things, everybody's opinion is uh, is, is is counts the same. Uh, this is one thing. The second thing is that we don't have any natural resources. So it was the Israeli economy was based on agriculture for several years, and then it was un understood that it can't be sustain. I mean, it's not sustainable if for a growing country, and there was a deliberate. Uh, deliberate uh, government policy to push Israel towards uh, towards uh, innovation technology and Israel puts uh, the highest percentage of its national budget on R&D in the world. So more than 6% of our national budget goes to R&D. Uh, and uh, there's a deliberate uh, policy to allow small organizations to get access to funding for seed money to start new companies. And also in the 90s, we had a huge influx of people coming from Russia when the Soviet Union disintegrated. And we had a million immigrants to a country that had 4 million people. And most of them were professionals, were in, uh, engineers and doctors and, and, and chemists and all kinds of, then they needed jobs. So the government created these hubs to create jobs and allowed, instead of doing a government companies, they just funded private enterprise for that. And are you able to identify when someone comes to you or some one idea come to your mind and say, well, this is going to be an innovation or in surgery, this is going to be a revolution in surgery. There is a different, like, for example, minimal invasive was a revolution because it changed everything. Yeah, yes, yes. And now it looks like we are facing new revolution. And, and so what is the difference between an innovation in surgery and a revolution in surgery? So, so basically, innovation is in, is uh, innovation or uh, progress is is an incremental thing. So you build on the back on the back on, on the top of the things that you already do, and you just improve the things that you already do. And a revolution or disruptive processes is when you completely abandon something that you've done before and form a new solution to a problem, or form a solution to a problem that didn't exist before. And then, then uh, this is this is called disruptive change. So, minimally invasive surgery was disruptive change because, but we didn't know. I mean, yeah. we just did it because we thought it was a good idea. We didn't know the consequences of that that were discovered later that it changes completely the postoperative course. That so many benefits that we didn't think that would happen. We just thought it was cool to do it. Well, I was there when we started doing it, and uh, and uh, I think the next. Uh, Revolutions in surgery will be uh, to disrupt what is considered surgery in general. And so I think that in 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 together with the other fields, which is oncology and endoscopy, it it will change 
dramatically. And the interesting thing is hernia repair will probably not because it's a very mechanical problem that needs a mechanical solution. And in hernia repair, I can see the only disruptive thing I can see happening is that we manage, we find ways to repair tissues instead of replace tissues. Yeah. So to, you know, to grow your own fascia back or to take fascia cells for you and grow you a piece of abdominal wall on the side and then implant it. Things that like would that. be a revolution. That would be a revolution. And I think this will sometime come. Yeah. Scaffolding. I'm probably not. It will, there will still be a mechanical part of putting it in place because I can't imagine teaching the body to grow a fascia over a defect uh, again without any mechanical intervention. But the materials that we'll be using will probably be the first, the next thing that will be disrupted. And what do you think about the impact of robotic? Because, you know, uh, you go to congresses and, and in abdominal wall surgery, uh, there is a lot about robots. And do you think it's a really an important change and yeah. have an impact? Important I, think, impact? I think it is. I think it, I think it is for various reasons. Uh, first of all, because uh, it adds a lot because of the way you see these things, uh, the, the, past, the, fa the fact that it's all available in very clear 3D vision, allows us to learn much more about the anatomy and understand better what we're doing. I think that the precision part for many doctors is very important. I'm not saying I don't like to treat robotic surgery as a religion because some people do it and they they, they completely dis, I mean they completely disregard any other option any other options, which I don't think is the right thing. But it's definitely a very important tool, especially for acquiring knowledge and teaching others to understand better what they do and to help them, some of the people who need help to do a better uh, operation, especially for, if you want to do suturing or advanced uh, dissection, I'm, I'm sure it helps. And the way I see it, uh, you are absolutely right. I agree with that. Robotics are just an advanced tool. Yeah. Probably not a revolution, it's like an uh, upgrade or uh, the next generation of laparoscopic or immunoinvasive. You can do most of the surgery without robotics, but I think we're all better with robotics. So that's Probably. why, yeah, I think that's how I I really uh, see it. But I want to make a question. Um, so as an innovator, you have hands-on experience. So you have patents and you work in different companies or you start new different companies. Um, just to give a perspective, you have any idea of of all new ideas how many of them really become an innovation? Because I don't want to give an impression that if you have an idea and it didn't work out, that you were a failure. Because I believe that is out of an X number of ideas, just a small fraction really gets to be. Uh, it's it's true. And it's many times true for for bad for the wrong reasons. Because sometimes, sometimes you come up with a great idea, but you perceive the right time to launch it. And the market or the world is not ready for your idea and they will reject it and you will not be able to fund it or create it. And uh, even minimal invasive surgery was like that. Yep. I mean, the guy who started doing lab call is the first guy who did it, went to jail for that. Uh, so, so many times your idea precedes the market or the world acceptance to your idea. Sometimes uh, you're an amazing... Uh, uh, innovator or engineer or a doctor with a great idea but you are a complete failure in the business side. And, and it's hard for us as doctors to accept the fact that without the business side, it will never happen. So somebody has to be making money and the idea should be financially and business-wise valid. 
And many doctors don't understand that and they think they can manage the entire thing by themselves and they fail. And, you know, I always say that I have a degree in, in, uh, in business administration that cost me about a million and a half dollars <laughs> of my own savings uh, because I never learned anything and I learned it the hard way. I did stupid things. I was involved in, by now in 21 companies. Most of them failed miserably. So, Ben, let's give some tips to the people who are listening to you. You have an idea what to do so if you have an idea first of all you have to be very honest probably sit with some more people and make sure that your idea really makes sense because sometimes you know something is uh, not helping you not it sounds like a great idea but it doesn't change really the, what you're going to do uh, sometimes your solution to a problem will create a worse problem and people will not going to see it. as a on the focal point of view It might be a great idea, but it will create another problem in the operating room. I don't know, sterility, all kinds of things that it will breach and then it will not work. And uh, <clears throat> the most important thing, I think, is that doctors are always, they have an idea. They are afraid that somebody will steal it from them. So basically, you should discuss your ideas with a lot of people, because if it's easy to steal, it's probably somebody thought about it already. So don't worry about it. <laughs> so, so, so. Discuss it with other people. Patent the, what you think is early is easily to patent. You can do a provisional patent very easily. It costs nothing and it will hold for a year and protect you for a year. And during this year, try to learn your own weaknesses. Find a very good business partner or somebody who knows how to run business. Find somebody who will be really willing to invest in your idea. Make sure that your academic institution or hospital will not... Uh, take away everything you have or stop you from developing it and go ahead and do it. Um, and just, just uh, to finish up, you're one of the father of this uh, human extension yes. of HANEX, this uh, mechanical, out, uh, electromechanical. electromechanical arm yes. for the surgeon that is in the middle of laparoscopy and robotic. Right. So what, how do you see the future of this device? I think there's a lot of room between simple laparoscopic instruments and large robotic systems. And this room will slowly fill up by smaller robotic systems that will allow you to, you to be used for specific areas. Uh, like, you know, just if you just need to do a suturing in a specific difficult spot, instead of docking a very large system, you can just do the suturing with this small device and then go on with whatever you're doing. Or if you need this section in an uncomfortable place, You can do that. I think there's a lot of room of innovation between large robotic systems and the straight sticks, especially not only because of, uh, of the fact that it's there, but because of the fact that there's a big world out there that, that needs solution, advanced solutions that are affordable. And I don't see very big uh, console-based robots being affordable in the foreseeable future. So Amir, I don't know if Flavio, you have any other question, but I think it's been great having this chat with you um always a pleasure to listen to you to your advice i think you show uh, it's important to share the tips that you give to those who have new ideas in mind and i think it will be used thank you for for being with us thank you so much i have so many other questions but maybe we can do a second one we can thank you <laughs> you can do it over the air <laughs>